When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I do a lot of research for this podcast. You know who doesn't do those things? It's my co-host, doesn't do research, doesn't care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's Kristen Studdard. Hi, Kristen. That's me. Hello, hello. I do as much research as I've casually done as far as listening to the artists that we are going to talk about and you know will that be enough that's up for our listeners to decide also maybe our listeners are are hearing an audio difference in your quality you've got a brand new microphone exciting i do i'm looking like a straight up 1940s radio announcer (laughs) in in the zoom right now i got a cool akg mic and like headphone setup and i don't know i think i'm sounding crispy and clear very cool all right let's bring in our guest today very excited to have her she is a hip-hop scholar she's uh she's calling in from atlanta and her uh, upcoming book, Chronicling Stankonia, The Rise of the Hip-Hop South, I think positions her to be the perfect guest for this episode. Uh, let's welcome Dr. Regina N. Bradley. Thank you so much for, for joining us. So the first question I always ask, because it, it's, a, it's a weird subject, this podcast, what is your level of familiarity with the Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Hall of Fame? Like two. <laughs> Is, is that on a scale of 100? Yeah, it, it, um, it could be on a scale of 50 limb. I, I don't really, if you're coming usually in I don't follow it unless it's like, I don't know, a black artist. Is that bad? No, I think that's reasonable. Oh, okay. It's very reasonable. And most you are in, I would say, the majority as far as people who uh, follow it or care about it. Welcome to my team. Uh, we represent the majority, but uh, Joe is the expert. And then many of our listeners are deeply invested in what happens with this uh, white patriarchal institution. <laughs> if, if we're, yeah, I mean- well- that's how it goes. But this year, you know, we had Whitney and Biggie in inducted this year. And then last year it was Janet. And then was, was Rosetta uh, Tharp. And, and Sister Rosetta Tharp was three years ago. Right. The fact that I just know all this is yeah, very annoying. So you, to me. you still you're you're researching on the low, Kristen. <laughs> no, yeah, it's very it's like it's <laughs> happening to me. I try to keep my brain like a sieve and like let as much of the information pass through it as possible, but a lot of it sticks around. Ah, yeah. Yes. Oh, and then um Nina Simone got in at the same year as uh Sister Rosetta Tharp. So it's been a very slow and terrible climb. Mm. Um, yeah. And not not doing great in terms of living black artists either which is uh bad yeah but the, th- the thing about the hall is you can cross your fingers and say next year and then be disappointed next year every damn time okay so all right let me ask so joe since you're the the hall of fame scholar 
Yeah. So you you're eligible for the Hall of Fame after 25 years? Is it? Yeah. And and the okay. the little wrinkle is it's uh it's technically 26, but yeah, they say they say oh. 25. Oh, it sounds like so some of the Grammy rules about when you could submit. Never mind. That ain't the Yeah, I mean like. It, <laughs> That like weird discrepancy becomes from they determine the nominees at the end of the year and then they become inducted uh, at the beginning of the next year. So it ends up technically being 26, although the pandemic has pushed that back so that it's all happening in the same year. So then it, it's just 26 now. Mm, OK, got it. Yeah. And I guess it, before we, we really get into it, a kind of review of the hall's history with hip hop is kind of important for context i suppose it's dicey like sometimes it's sometimes it's pretty good like they like biggie and tupac and run dmc and public enemy all got in as soon as they were eligible and then you've got you know grandmaster flash and furious five were the first hip-hop artists that were inducted took a few years for them to get in a few ballots same with nwa same with beastie boys so there are seven hip-hop artists currently in the hall and then part of the issue though is that it kind of seems like it's a one artist through per year only one almost will get... a tokening if you will right and you can kind of see the strategy there of you put one hip-hop artist on the ballot so that you don't potentially split votes like if you want to maximize like say last year maximize biggie's shot of getting in you just put biggie in as the lone hip-hop artist on the ballot so then he'll have the easiest road to get in. But what happens is you get an artist like LL Cool J, who has been on the ballot five times and chronologically should have been in already if you're going through the, the history of hip hop. But for whatever reason, he can't seem to get in. So you take a look at a year like 2019, the first year Outcast was eligible. They st were still like, well, we have to get the chronology right. So they put LL Cool J on the ballot as the lone one. And then he didn't get in. So that means no hip hop artists get in. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's some shady boots math right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if we're operating based on how the, the hall works, it's, you know, everybody's kind of waiting their turn. This upcoming year, Jay-Z becomes eligible and mm -hmm. we're assuming he will probably be. Yeah, he'll get in first year. It will happen without a doubt, especially because he was in the Biggie induction as well. And there's just no way that, and especially because, you know, Beyonce would show up if he shows up. And I feel like, there, yeah, there's no way that he's not getting in. Unless, I mean, do, now I'm doing speculating, but like, unless he wouldn't come and then they're like, because he'd have to go to Cleveland. I think he'll come. I think it'll happen. I think, I so think it's a no brainer. I think that he will absolutely get in next year. I think, I don't know when LL Cool J is ever going to get in. I'm like, what's he going to have to do? Yeah. We're going to need a biopic. Yeah. Or he's going to need to just like suddenly get back in the game and just spit fire on someone else's song out of nowhere. They're like, LL is back. Like, yeah. Then people, I, I don't know. It's outrageous that he's not in. I find it kind of, you know, interesting, especially when you think about living Black artists, especially hip-hop artists. A lot of these folks feel like they're still making good music. So usually when you get enshrined, uh, that means it, it's, it's a wrap. It's over. And, and a lot mm -hmm. of people are like, mm-mm, mm-mm. That's, mm -hmm. that's not the case. So that's the only thing I can I can think about. But I felt kind of bad because in my head, I was like, so LL is the Terrell Owens of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> 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 like, I don't know. 
yeah. wonder if part of it too is that you know folks are still so struck on these traditional ideas of genre like oh rock and roll is supposed to do x y and z and, and unfortunately a lot of rock and roll folks don't understand that rock and roll started with black folks yeah. so i don't get it i don't understand i mean okay but you know so when they think maybe they think about a hip-hop act they're like how is that representative of you know rock and roll and you're just kind of like what they're all connected it's all connected like oh no no yeah uh, let's uh, let's talk about Outcast. I think it's it's time, Dr. Bradley. What is your connection? What is? Do you remember the first time you heard Outcast? Um, it was at the. It was after uh, an episode of Martin where they were doing Players Ball after the Pimpin' Players episode. But I didn't really get into it until fourteen, so right about to start high school. And the guy, there was a guy who was, who was transcribed as Spodiody Dopalicious. Uh, and I wasn't put on game yet because I had just transplanted to Southwest Georgia from D.C. So in D.C., it's mini New York. Whatever's playing in, on Hot 97 is what's playing on 93.9, 95.5. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like the artist that folks were listening to was totally different when I got south. So they were like, why aren't you listening to anybody from No Limit? Why aren't you listening to the 3-6 Mafia? Why aren't you listening to the <laughs> Family? And I'm just like, please don't disown me. Like, I'm still... <laughs> I'm here to learn. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to be ostracized for life for my whole high school career because I didn't know nothing about Southern hip hop. So, yeah. Aquamanai was my, when I fell in love with Outkast. At what point then does the fandom become a scholarly pursuit for you? Uh, after I finished my PhD, honestly, I finished my PhD in 2013 and I was at a conference with some friends at a hip hop literacy conference, actually. Uh, so. And your PhD, it was in what area? In English and African-American uh, literature with emphasis on hip hop. But yeah, I was just at this conference. Uh, I was broke as hell. I was, you know, trying to find a job at the time. And folks were all excited about Nas's Illmatic 20th anniversary. And I'm like, yeah, that's dope. But Southern Playlistic turns 22. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. I just, I hate that. I was like, what? So I just gathered up some people that I, I appreciated their scholarship and their insight, or they were just friends. I'm like, you want to get on Google Hangout and just, you know, record it and post it talking about Outcast. <laughs> so Outcast the Conversation was born out of that. And from Outcast the Conversation is the book, Chronically Stakeoni. So, so out, how long were you doing Outcasted Conversations? Uh, I did it for the year, um, the whole year 2014. I thought it was going to maybe be like, you know, no more than like 10 episodes. It ended up being 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I thought this was going to be three episodes and we're two and a half years into this. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, I started putting it out there and, and I started having fun doing it. And folks were like, what about me? I got like, I like Outcast. I love Outcast. I was just like, what? Okay. So it just, it just worked out. It was, it was, you know kismet i guess mm -hmm. and those are still available on youtube yeah just do it put in outcast conversations you'll see them yeah, yeah so you you have you have talked at length about this group uh yeah, quite yeah a they're bit. still my favorite <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good test if you can talk about a group or an artist over and over and over again and you're still like hell yeah i'm yeah they're my favorite group of all time man i don't i'll never get tired of it it's amazing they're amazing they're yeah. such a unique i mean I like the some of the things about Outcast that I think are just so like special are they they brought kind of like freaky, you know, kind of hippie hip hop to the mainstream. They were not afraid to be like incredibly soulful and psychedelic and strange and in a way that was like fun and funny and playful and but also still had an edge to it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, so you were, you were into them as a fan and then you became an outcast scholar and so then weird, man, I don't, <laughs> I'm real hesitant to call myself that like, it's, I don't know. Cause I feel like it's opening doors for folks to try me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> folks are like if you're really an outcast scholar, what did he say three minutes into a criminal? Like what? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not what it's about. It's not no. what this is about. No, um, also any type of fandom people are going to, I, uh, I hear you, especially being a, a woman in a fan space. Sometimes I feel like people want to just test you like, oh, do you really know about that? And so they want to like ask you a bunch of stupid, you know, minutiae questions. questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, uh, well, Google said that this, it was, you know, it was this. Um, yeah. I guess you're not really a scholar after all. I'm taking your book back from you. Like, no, you can't unpublish a paper. So. (laughs) No, you really can't. I mean, you know, it's, (laughs) I don't know. It's it's a really interesting space to kind of navigate. You know what I'm saying? And I'm I'm thinking about a couple of things. One is Chris, exactly what you pointed out is that you have some folks who are super fans who are like, well, you didn't go to the fall 94 concert where they did it and I'm like yeah I couldn't go to the fall 94 concert I was 10 you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. my, you know my folks wasn't <laughs> wasn't out there like that um but I I don't know I mean part of it is 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 you want to and this is something that I grappled with when I was writing the book I was like folks expect you when you said that you study outcasts it's going to be like a biography and I'm like it's not like I didn't write a biography otherwise I would have been like it's you know the biography of outcasts but it's it's not it's more so thinking about them in a larger conversation taking place about the about the South and, and Southern Black folks in particular after the Civil Rights Movement. Like there's so many moving parts, I guess, that there's a little bit of biographical information, but that's not my approach to it. Most of the time that folks leave me alone after that, but there's still those who are just like, well, why, why didn't you write the biography about Outcast? I'm like, well, that's not what I was setting out to do, first of all. Um, well, and you know, when you think about like the fact that like one of their big breakthrough songs was called Rosa Parks, it's like the connection is made it's there it's ever present in their music and who they are yeah I mean you know you're talking you're kind of talking about the the psychedelic and the funk influence of of what you hear especially in their earlier work I mean like it goes back to like a sonic genealogy you know what I mean like organized noise had personal connections to the funk scene in Atlanta in the 1970s and 1980s you know what I mean And, and Sleepy Brown who is you know, one third of organized noise. His dad was a member of Brick. So of course you're gonna get that live instrumentation, that experimental instrumental that is that Outcast is really known for, like the funk of it all. But I think the other thing about it too, and this is where and it's not just Outcast, right? Like I I often have to set the disclaimer is that Outcast is not the first Southern rap group ever. Outcast is a Southern rap group who paid dues to recognize that there are other Southern rap artists out there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's mm-hmm. important. But ultimately, you know, being able to establish themselves is not only from, from Georgia, but from Atlanta in particular, there was a lot going on there that was kind of like being pulled tight, so to speak. So you're dealing with Atlanta as this kind of monumental civil rights city. You're also dealing with the fact that they're moving forward with, um, you know, what Maurice Hobson calls the Olympification of Atlanta. So you have folks who are starting to get recognized that, oh, Atlanta might not just be this little regional hub in the, in the South, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and this interest in the, in the music scene is, is continuing to increase. But something that I tell my students in my outcast class is that, you know, Atlanta is known for hip hop now, but that wasn't always the case. They've, they've been on, like from, from funk music to you know R&B Atlanta has been the spot it's just a little bit different because one how we access information we're increasingly in the social media age but I mean like if you think about the significance of Atlanta especially 
in the seventies through the nineties, it was like, we didn't have the internet. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It was like word of mouth. It was word of mouth and telephone calls. Like this was really starting to pop off. So um, you can make those links between outcasts, multiple, the, the multiple interests, multiple sonic influences, um, especially as they evolve as a group. You know what I mean? So you hear the funk influence in the earlier stuff, but then when they start to do their own production, with Earth Tone 3, you start to hear the, the rock and roll influences, the EDM influences. And I think that's what makes them so great is that they're continually evolving their sound, which I think makes folks a little uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And they recognize mm -hmm. that. It's like, you know, you, you, you came out like this. You're supposed to stay like this, right? And then it's like, no, 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 don't get, don't get comfortable. I'm gonna do this little rock thing. We'll do this little EDM thing. And you're gonna like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gonna go from there, yeah. Especially talk, I mean, we talked about genre before. I mean, there's there's maybe no group who has defied genre as much as Outkast in, in a way that, yeah, is confusing to people, especially you have these communities within music that they want to define things. And I think it was Russell Simmons who, when Outkast first came out, he was like, well, this isn't hip hop. He has since, he's later recanted that and been like, well, I just kind of didn't understand that they were expanding the idea of hip-hop and to do that and to be so you know it's, it's a challenging thing to try to pull off and to do mm -hmm. it with no compromise and yet still be so massively successful I think is such a hallmark of a, a true artist yeah I mean you know I <laughs> I was actually ranting on Twitter today <laughs> about the fact that I'm like a lot of the folks who said that southerners can't do hip-hop there was, there was a bias, you know what I'm saying? Like when Outkast first came out in 94 and they got to the Source Awards, they were literally booed off the stage because they won an award from a magazine that was like the hip hop Bible and the hip hop Bible and hip hop was, the Mecca was New York, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. they were like, yeah, that's cool, but we do our own thing down here. So when Andre is like the South got something to say, that was, that kicked the door open. It was like, oh, okay. But I mean, like the thing I was ranting about on Twitter today, I was like, for the most part, folks from New York can't tell me shit about Southern hip hop. Like, I don't care. I don't care what they have to say. Cause I'm like, it's different. You know what I'm saying? Like folks have this kind of flat idea about what Southernness is supposed to be, especially for Southern black folks. And, and Southern hip hop is continuously revising that narrative much in the same line that Southern musicians have been reframing the narrative from the jump. Um, it's just a younger generation's turn to do that, but there's still definitely an inherent bias. <laughs> so it's like when people talk about Southern rap, um, they're like, oh, you know, you have those folks who are like, the South killed rap. And I'm like, nah, the South put rap onto a whole different level. Like, don't get it twisted, nah. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I, you know, I came up on like Missy Elliott and Ludacris and stuff. And so for me, I'm like, Southern rap is where it's at. Or even like old 95 South or whatever, yeah. you know, early like house music. I'm from Chicago okay. and it's like house music is very influenced by Southern bass. music, like, like Southern bass. And so I grew up kind of on that and I hadn't even thought about people thinking that rap is only like a New York, New York pure, only you kind know, of thing. Folks like to, to, like to, to give the, the pure lyrical rap apparently that's the only kind of hip-hop there is and I'm just like that's bullshit for multiple reasons kind of like you could I mean I grew up in the late 90s and early 2000s for me that's the golden era of southern hip-hop I mean I was there when Outkast was still bringing out new things on the radio you know the arrival of folks like Ludacris and T.I. And, and Lil John. you know what I mean when he when he had the East Side Boys you know what I'm so it was like <laughs> 
there was definitely that connection but I think all of that to say is that what hip-hop in the south proves to me time and time again is that the south is not a monolith like what happens in Florida is different than what happens in Mississippi is different than what happens in Texas or Georgia and I'm cool with that right like we need to let that breathe and I think what makes Outkast so legendary and epic is that they allow that experimentation to breathe like they're like yeah we're from Atlanta but we're not just going to stick to Atlanta influences. We're going to pull from a little bit of everything, a little bit of everybody. Like they they sampled from multiple genres in Southern hip hop, from trap to chopped and screwed that you hear coming out of Texas. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's so important is that they were like, they lived up to their name, right? Like it's, it's easier to be outcasted and do your own thing than trying to like fulfill these roles that people have of you to check off these boxes. Mm-hmm. And usually if you just check off the boxes, okay, what what's next, right? Which is like, you put folks like Missy in conversation with Outkast. Missy is so phenomenal in the way that she experiments and reinvents herself. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yes. And she's from Potsmouth. She's from Virginia. So <laughs> it's, it's there. It's like, it's, it's, not, it's again, it's not a monolith. You know what I mean? Like in Tennessee, you got 3-6 Mafia. In Atlanta, you got Organized Noise. And out in Texas, you got Pimp C and them. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, mm-hmm. it's it's dope. It's important. And then, you know, I will be remiss because folks will come for me. But in, Lu- in Louisiana, you got Manny Fresh. So let me. <laughs> <laughs> my, my New Orleans supposed to be like, so you just going to ignore us on this? I'm like, no, no, we won't even like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I know that we have a lot of our listeners are kind of rock based people. Uh, so I want to make sure that we give the appropriate background. I know you didn't write a biography on Outcast, but I do just so that we can have an entryway for some of our listeners who maybe don't know who Organized Noise is and kind of the story of Outcast. Uh, they got started very young. They were mm-hmm. friends in high school, and I'm referring. And I'm referring to Andre 3000 and Big Boy, Big who are Boy. the the two main members of Outcast cut their first record Southern playlisted Cadillac music when they were teenagers and they were able to do so with their connection with a guy named Rico Wade and this group called organized noise. And they, that, that this was just kind of a collective of, it was a production team a collective of producers in Atlanta who took a liking to them. And the kind of dungeon is the dungeon family the dungeon family right and that's in reference to where they would record and the group of artists that kind of were in atlanta and using that space and were influencing each other and being on each other's records and that includes you know maybe most notably CeeLo green and goody mob at mm-hmm. that time they were all kind of coming up together yeah it's all good me I mean, <laughs> literally rico way's mama's basement <laughs> like her uncle's uh-huh. basement that's where the idea of the dungeon comes from it was dark and dank down there right and it, it, it was humble beginnings but pretty quickly they established themselves organized noise would very quickly produce tlc and waterfalls and some major r&b hits in addition to what they were doing with some of the hip-hop acts in atlanta and then you know from there you know they that first record you know it's it's maybe the the I would never call Outcast traditional, but if you're going to pick one of their albums that's not as introspective or you know genre defying as they would get, you know they kind of start off they're they're cornrows, they're talking about you know pimps and Cadillacs that kind of thing, <laughs> and then it goes it's on. It's a classic pimp and Cadillac record, you know. <laughs> I 
down. It's how I wanna end it on this track. So I pass it to my partner and step back up in my cat. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think on, on the one hand, it, it is a genre defying album because they use a funk aesthetic as compared to a jazz aesthetic that you would hear up north or maybe mm-hmm. out west. And you hear the influence of the G-Funk that's coming from the West Coast. Like, you know, if you had to put them in conversation, the West Coast folks were, were our more distant cousins than up north. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. I'm like, it's it's more of a traditional, uh, and I'm using traditional in quotes here, like traditional right. hip hop album. For you know them. What I'm um, for, yeah, for, for them. It's like, okay, so we want to show you that we have an awareness of what hip hop is supposed to sound like, but also this is what happens when we, we literally funk it up. Right. Then you get like AT Aliens in 96, and that was just basically like a big fuck y'all to everybody. It was it was right after being booed off stage at the Source Awards. You know, they were working on it before the Source Awards, obviously, but I think it really cemented the fact that uh, we're not accepted in hip hop, we're not accepted here. So fuck it, we go into space. So what award did they win at what a what award did they win at the Source Awards that people started booing? Best new duo or rap group in hip hop. So they were best. I mean, like new group. the other part of it too is like one of the one of the other duos they're going up against is Smith and Wesson, who's out of New York. So because the source is from New York, they're like, yo, they thought everybody in New York should have won the Source Award. I mean, like that Source Award is <laughs> So you have like the infamous Suge Knight, if you don't want your producer yes. doing all your videos, you know what I mean? You got mm-hmm. a very- Yes, young, yes, yes. Yeah. Very young, very the, angry dog. The, uh, love the puffy call out of the, <laughs> of the century. Uh, it's one of the most contentious like live events. Yeah, it's crazy. I was waiting to see a chair go across the screen. Like I was, I was ready. I mean, like folks were ready to fight. It was like a, a bombshell in there, right? I mean, they gave them the room. So in ATL is they're using, you know, everything that sounds from outer space. It's very Afrofuturistic. You know what I'm saying? Like this idea of, you know, we don't fit in here. Where can we go? We can go to space and remix it and relive it, right? Um, and folks were like, oh, this is mm-hmm. this is different. Like folks say, it's different. Out of this world, like ET, coming across your TV, extraterrestrial, straight from ATL. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Like that. For me, Aquamanai is like a kind of look a look back on what they've done so far. I think it's also like the, one of the last times, if not the last time they referenced the Source Awards incident. At the very like end, they play party. the actual... Yeah, on Chunky Fire. Yeah, they literally sample being booed from hip hop, yeah. which is so gangster. <laughs> I was like, really? And it, I mean, like, but it was also kind of like a... And I'm like, it's, I think it was intentional. It was the very last... Like you said, Joe, it was the very last track on the album. But it's like this, though. I'm tired of folks, you know what I'm saying? Closed-minded folks, you know what I'm saying? It's like we got a demo tape and nobody want to hear, but it's like this, the South got something to say. That's all I got to say. It sounded like a, like a radio player, like a, like a radio dying, something like that. Like, I, I never could find that, figure out language to do it right in the book, but I basically was like, it sounds like a dying battery. <laughs> it's like, for real, we're not going to give any more attention to this. And then you get Stankonia in 2000, and that's really when Earth Tone 3 starts to take over. And, and of course, you got Speaker Box of Love Below, which gets a Grammy, mm-hmm. um, which for a lot of folks, that was their introduction. And why, the reason I say that is because when you get something like Coachella, where they do their reunion, they start their reunion tour in 2014. It was like, they they gave you the entire catalog, but I, I remember watching it on YouTube because, you know, I don't have Coachella money. So I-, I Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> so watching it on YouTube and I, I, I it made me so mad because folks were leaving their set after they heard like, hey, yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, what are you doing? Don't you what understand? You- <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, oh, hey, yeah uh, is like, Hey Ya is there celebrate by cool and the gang like you know it, it's like uh, there so, I mean if it ever yeah <laughs> it is it is just like the song that it's gonna fill the floor at a wedding 
anywhere. And that was like, it's a blessing and a curse to have a song that friggin' popular and that catchy. I mean, oh shit. And I'm like, <laughs> that is funny though. Cause I know we'll get to this later, but it is, you know, my, my mom has definitely heard of outcast, but probably because of, Hey, uh, I don't think she remembers like who did uh bombs over Baghdad. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think she has ever heard Spodioti Dopalicious. I don't, I don't think that's happened for her, uh, <laughs> but everybody knows, Hey, uh, your grandma knows, Hey, uh, your baby cousin knows, Hey, uh, everybody knows it. It's still like, and it's, it's almost too popular of a song. Mm-hmm. What was that Bruno Mars song uptown that funk? was like? It was. It's like uptown funk. I see your I mean, uptown it's, funk and raise you for reals happy. Like it's yeah. happy, exactly. <laughs> it's happy. It's uptown funk. It's all of it. It's like, oh man, yeah. that's a friggin' playlist right there. That's like a kids' bop playlist. It's like pop music that makes you feel good. You know, I'm traumatized <laughs> by kids' bop. It's because I have I have nieces and nephews and whenever we get together I can't listen to my usual playlist because they're they're young they're they're babies mm-hmm. and my schnookers so they're like well I want to listen to kids Bob it is oh save me I need a, I need like a whole bottle after that I need a whole <laughs> bottle of something because I'm like this is ridiculous mm-hmm. no, I just I don't understand it, I don't it is because you know kids Bob it's like the you want of Miss Jackson and I was like what why what <laughs> <laughs> how do you, you... Seen it? Have you no seen it? no oh i yeah, avoid just... kids bop at all costs yo I... it was well... it was it was a lot you can talk about not being invited to a fish fry on a kid song though so that's still appropriate that'll fit like you don't have to change you don't have to change anything for that for the lyrics my lady drama mama don't like me she's doing things like having a boy come to the studio trying to fight me she needs to get a piece of the american pie and take a bite out this is my house i disconnect the cable and the you know what's so frustrating about the rock and roll hall of fame is that there's no real set criteria for why someone has to be inducted or why they get in or why someone else doesn't get in. They, there's just, you kind of just have to guess as to why someone gets in, which I uh, have done being the nerd that I am about the rock hall. I have come up with a list of criteria that I think if you do well in those categories, you have a good case for induction into the rock hall. So what I want to do is let's take a little bit of a break. And then when we come back, we're going to see how outcast does in the categories. So we'll be right back. Welcome back everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you made any adjustments to the lighting in your life, whatever that may mean. Uh, so let's talk about Outcast became eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the 2019 ceremony because their first uh, release was the single Players Ball at the mm-hmm. end of 1993. Uh, the only outcast connection to the Rock Hall is that they inducted Prince in 2004. Really? And they actually did it with Alicia Keys. Alicia so were, Keys, darling of the hall. Darling of the hall. It's she funny. Comes, she comes to a lot of ceremonies. She inducts people. She does their tribute performances. She will be at her piano. She will be at the microphone. She will do it. 
but it was interesting that the three of them are at the podium together. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, is it like they needed Alicia as like their pass to get onto the stage? Like what, why? I think it was just like, there's so many people who could induct Prince that they were like, well, maybe we'll have multiple yeah, Alicia people. Alicia Keys does not come to mind immediately for me when I think Prince. So. No. <laughs> she just does it. No, that's, yeah, in terms of a, a musical descendant. I love Outcast inducting him. That's like such a, a great move. Was like, he there? Yeah, he, he, he showed up and he famously did a guitar solo for George Harrison, who was- Oh, that was that was same year? The sound of the guitar, that the, when the, the guitar disappeared? Yes. <laughs> While my guitar gently <laughs> weeps and he throws a guitar in the air and it never comes back down. You know how many times I watched that video? I'm like slowing it down. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it goes. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, did he know that there was somebody in the raft or what? I was like, that was, that's Prince though. Prince is magic. I don't care what nobody say. Mm -hmm. Long live Prince. Yeah. Truly. Long live Prince. And that's at a, that's at a rock hall induction ceremony. That's probably the best thing that's happened at. And he at, like outshined everybody. It was a damn shame. Like they were like, okay, we're just going to play the guitar, you know And then he come out there <laughs> and just took it over. It was so fire. It was yeah. It, it's, well, it's an and Joe moment. tells this on the show a lot, but like he had never heard the song while my, oh, really? my while my guitar gently weeps until like the day he agreed to do it yeah he uh he agreed to do it because he likes the song free falling by tom petty and tom petty was involved in that tribute and so he was like yeah i guess i'll do it i don't know the song but i'll figure it out and then yeah There's just ripped, goat, ripped the most amazing it. solo i get it like I, I get why i mean prince especially the way he would experiment with instrumentation and and sound and message i mean you know outcast yeah, it, it makes it. it makes sense. These speeches are interesting because clearly, I mean, even Big Boy calls it out. He's like, he's like off the top of the dome, and he's just kind of saying a speech, you know, extemporaneously. And so does Andre. But then when they go to Alicia, she's so poised, and she's like, "There are many kings," and then she says a no. bunch of <laughs> names of kings. No, she, she's like she's talking in sound. You know, bites, pageant you know? answer, like she goes into pageant mode. Mm -hmm. yeah yes. oh, and it's wow. like That's it's perfect. perfect for the hall because when they put together like little montages of induction moments they can take her being like but there's only one prince and then everybody applauds where you know andre and big boy are just kind of a little bit messier just being like yeah i just remember like this was this and that and then she's you know there are many kings king henry the eighth king solomon king tut king james King Kong, the three kings, but there is only one prince. But that is the, uh, and that was in 2004, which was just, you know, they're just- Well, oh, that makes sense. Their that powers. Okay, yeah. Just I mean, like the they most famous off guys. Grammy win too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's go through these categories uh, and we will start off and we, we started to touch on this before. And then maybe the first thing you would think of is, do they have iconic, or songs that everybody would recognize. Yes. And of course, we talked about. <laughs> we I'm talked sorry, about. Yes. The, yes. The, hey ya is such a like huge song that I think not only is it that people would know it, but like maybe people who don't even listen to music know hey ya. Yeah. It, it, it is just that ubiquitous. Y'all don't want to hear me. You just want to dance. Your daddy. Oh, 
I think when you're talking about Outkast's biggest songs in that regard, in terms of what people would recognize, you kind of start there and go backwards, right? Mm -hmm. Because around the same time, the same release, The Way You Move was also everywhere. Like you could not escape that song. It was, it was like right when we were done with Hey Ya, then The Way You Move came out and then that took over life. Yeah, yeah, The Way You Move. That was my my homecoming 2003 anthem. That that was on repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, um, I would also put Bonds with Baghdad. Everybody knows Bonds with Baghdad. <laughs> Bombs Over Baghdad is a song that has grown in its popularity over the Especially years. With, um, was it the uh, the one that was just released on the the re-release, the Zach De La Rocha remix? Yeah, he did, he did a remix that kind of brought it to rock radio. <laughs> So, so I don't know about bonus this. points, Joe. That's bonus points for your little yeah. category. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some Bring serious, it in. some serious rock cred. But yeah, I mean, bombs over Baghdad may not on the on the charts have been as big as some of their other ones, but I think a lot of people would probably put it as their best song. It's like the banger of all time. There, it, that a song is a floor filler as far as like it's a relentless song that you cannot sit still during. It's part of that red cup test. And what that is, is like, I, if you, if like you're saying you're leaving a party and you're telling everybody your goodbyes and you hear the song, come on, it's the one song you're like, okay, let me put my cup down one more time. Yes. Right along with, with Juvenile, back that ass up. <laughs> <laughs> it is the truth. You know, iconically, maybe the most infamous 15 seconds of rap. Like, <laughs> so, just that dude. Yeah, like you be out the door and you hear it come on. You're yeah. like, okay, okay, I can, one more time. Let's do yeah. one more, one more dance. Truly. Girl, you're working with some ass hand. Your bad jam, make a nigga spend his cash hand. His last hand holds brown with your passion. Uh, I would also, obviously, I would put Ms. Jackson up yeah. there. I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. Uh, mm-hmm. That was her first number one hit. And then also off so of fresh, Stank- So Clean. So Fresh, So Clean. Off oh, of So Fresh, So Clean. Then they've even got beyond that. They've got like second. T- I mean, I feel like the whole world did well for a second, but maybe that's just me. of like sub hits that I like that never were I have a song from the Idlewild soundtrack that I like yeah, I don't know about that. Morris Brown I don't know about that <laughs> Morris Brown from the Idlewild soundtrack is one of my favorite yeah, like outcast songs
like groovy little songs that have a marching band in them. My husband is like, Morris Brown, so it holds a special place in the Bradley house. <laughs> it's it's a great one, and Claudia it's like yeah. Delicious. We'll probably oh. get another one. Especially when Beyonce sampled it, that added to the to yes. the war. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, they check it out. What's the next category? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, Damn. I want to. <laughs> and we we mentioned Rosa Parks, which I think <laughs> is one that you you hear pretty frequently. <laughs> And then also I want to make note of from Speaker Box Love Below, I think Roses is a song that is out there that people know. And then I feel like I hear the song ATLians. At any rate, yeah, they hit a point because sometimes when we talk about hip hop artists, we do feel like we have to qualify where it's like, well, if you're a hip hop fan, you've probably heard these songs or if you listen to hip hop radio. But I think Outkast pushes past that. If it doesn't matter what you're listening to, these are there are at least a handful of songs that you have heard just by living in the world. Like they will, they'll hit you. Let's go to the next category, which is classic albums. Now you could make a case that all all of, yeah, (laughs) you could. That's the fandom fandom coming out. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joe. I mean, you could make the case. I mean, especially that, I mean, we talked about Idlewild came up, which, you know, it's, you can count it or not. <laughs> you don't count it. Don't, don't count it. Okay. 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 I know that it came out album like, but I just feel like, I don't know, man. I just feel like there's a whole lot of sound bites from the movie and maybe one or two new songs. But yeah. I, okay. Okay. Maybe not. We don't have to dwell. Idlewild, no, that is not a classic. We don't have to dwell on Idlewild. <laughs> but when you're talking about, I think people would say, and it, it kind of, it go, you know, Southern playlists of Cadillac music. Yes. Groundbreaking. Yes, AT Aliens more yes. so and mm-hmm. then you start to reach the heights of Aquemini, which is like yeah, perfection Aquemini no, no, perfection. like nobody's gonna oh, argue that and then stankonia mm. same thing and that's also the kind of breakthrough to the mainstream mm. mm-hmm. and then you get like the monumental mm-hmm. and although the you know outcast stands would probably not put it up with the previous two but speaker box love below certainly made quite an impact yeah, impact, impact. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a classic album, but impact is definitely. I'm not going to take that away from that album, no. Now, kind of tying into the next category, which is critical acclaim. Which of those albums do you guys think oh. made the Rolling Stone list of the top 500 greatest albums? I and think Aquamanai is on there, and I think, hmm, I think there is two, and I think Stank- Stankonia might also be on there. 
now and let's and let's remember or, or or could could it be speaker box love below as as a one album as like the a double album i think it would be Aquemini and maybe speaker box i don't know i used to be so good at this and i i don't trust myself anymore and i gotta i gotta find it but Joe. remember kristen <laughs> There are two versions of this list. Oh, they, right. are, they did redo no. it. They did. I, they I did, they, they, they redid they, they it just recently. Redid it. It and there's a lot more Black artists it, on yeah. it. There's a lot more diversity of genre on it. It's like a very different list. It is. Mm-hmm. Now, so there was the original 2003. Then they re-upped it and made a few changes for 2012. And then there's this 2020 list. So what what are our predictions here? Uh, I think Equimini, Um I don't know about Stanker. I mean, like, I, I don't know, maybe, but I, I feel like it's a, in my spirit. I feel like it's a quote. I feel like a quote. I made it all three times. Okay, fair. Kristen, what do you think? I, I think Aquemini is definitely the strongest contender to be on it currently. I think it's definitely probably on the 2020 list. If I had to say another one, I think it would also be Stanconia. That is okay. what I think I could be wrong I used to be so good and it has hurt me very badly to be terrible at this guessing now. I used to just have a weird mind meld with the 2015 list. There was never, so, I have to be, there was never a 2015 list. <laughs> when was the last one? 2012? 2012. Okay, great. At any rate, <laughs> Nailed it doesn't it. matter. So there was one album on the 2003 list mm-hmm. and it was Danconia. And it, really? Yes. Okay. And it was in, in 2003 and it was Stankonia. And then I think it would have been in the 400s. I think it would have been like 419. It was 359. Mm, not, not terrible. Yeah. Not terrible. yeah. Now, okay. when they revised it for the 2012 list, mm-hmm. they did, like I said, they didn't make too many changes, but we've got a Quemini on there now mm-hmm. at 500. Oh. <gasps> Just barely on the list. Okay. Now, but and then but and then did um but where yeah this, where did it replace Stankonia uh, or is it yeah still where did Stankonia go? Stankonia went to three sixty one, so like it was basically the same the same just place. Just a few around. Okay. Now let's let's revise the list for twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. We've got Speaker Box, The Love Below. Interesting. At two ninety, we've got Stankonia. What? Let me see where I think it is. Okay. So are there three on there then now? Is it yes. a Clemeni, Stankonia, and Speaker Box Love Below mm-hmm. are now on the 2020 list? Correct. And you said 290 for Speaker Box Love Below. Yes. So that means the other two albums are going to be higher in the list as far they're going to be lower numbers, higher rankings. And I think, <laughs> speaking with confidence again, Do suddenly, it. It. <laughs> um, I think that I think Stankonia then is going to be. 178 and i think aquemini is going to be 96. yeah i think aquemini is top 100. I, I'm, right. that's, that's where i'm gonna put my bed that's where my bed is going okay so stankonia is now at 64. oh <gasps> really well, i'm trying to figure out what it is about that album is it because it's it had huge it's got huge singles. a lot of hits Lot yeah, of I mean, there's definitely that, but I also think, kind of, just thinking in general, I mean, like the the genres that they they sampled and remixed probably had something to do with why that album kept crawling, so to speak. It's yeah, because- I, I might. Yeah, my guess is it just it has that impact on people because it was kind of their last 
true album where they're mm-hmm, collaborating. Mm-hmm. Now, Aquemini, 49. Oh, we made the top 50. Very good. Top 50. <laughs> and so that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a journey for Aquemini from not being on the list to being 500 to being 49. To yeah, be- that's a hell of a jump. That's, yeah. That's a, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big jump. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What a decade will do. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this shows, but you didn't even really need this to show that the critical acclaim for Outcast has always been out of control. Like the critics have always embraced Outcast as a daring, interesting, skillful, just different group. Like I just the, think it should be bonus points that there are three albums on there from three, you know what I'm saying? There's the, yeah. that part of yeah. it. But I also think it should be bonus points for the fact that Outkast is one of those groups that every time they came, well, with, okay, with the exception of Ottawa, every time they came out with something, it was continuously, they were stepping their game up. They continue mm-hmm. to evolve. Yeah, yeah. like that, that idea of, of the, the evolution thing. But I don't think Ottawa should count as an album because... <laughs> <laughs> it's a soundtrack. Well, okay, it's the soundtrack, but I also think that, I don't know, I just feel like they weren't in the same place they were when they were producing the other albums, like studio-wise, because Andre was doing the acting thing. He, I mean, he had said repeatedly that it really wasn't in his spirit, it wasn't in his ministry like that to be out there being lyri- a lyrical assassin, right? Which, you know, Big Boy has been consistent. Like, I tell folks all the time, like, there would be no Andre 3000 without Big Boy. But you know, that's not this conversation. But okay, okay. I mean, I am curious, so I I would I would like to have that conversation. I'm, I mean, well, I think it's like Andre is like the the flashy, you know, eccentric, kind eccentric. of like he's the eccentric kind of flashy person. Artists, right? Like mm-hmm. he embodies what you think the fly with the wind type of artist does. I'll be like from the yep. flu gate to when it was it was it earlier this year or was it last year when they're like there were sightings of him playing just playing his flute at the airport flute. and all of, I'm, I'm <laughs> been 50 years long. So I feel like January, like the, the beginning pre pandemic, feels yeah. like it was, you know, 2019 part two. Like I don't, yeah. it, it <laughs> but um, no, I mean, like I think just the idea of the artistry behind it, but I also think something that Andre does just as a reminder to folks is like, don't get it twisted. Like I could still outrhyme you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like yeah. he, he just drops these 16 bars very randomly. You never know what's going to happen. It's almost like, you know how folks get excited about a Beyonce album? I get excited if I hear there's going to be an Andre verse. That's, that's yeah. I have the same type of excitement because you never know when you're going to get it. It's just, what? There's a new, what? Yeah. I think the, the critical acclaim has always been there and it really mm-hmm. just kind of grew and grew to being potentially one of the most critically adored groups of all time. And then on the flip side, there's the commercial success, right. which every album went platinum. Speaker Box Love to Below Toyota. went. <laughs> Speaker Box Love Below went diamond. This Did is a Stankonia group. Did Stankonia go di- near near double platinum? I thought Stankonia was close. Like I thought they were close to a new. Yeah, I, I mean diamond is ten times platinum, but yeah, the Stankonia went four times platinum. Mm. Uh, Aquemini went two times platinum. So did Atlians. People uh, were still buying albums. That's what that tells you. <laughs> yeah, it's, but I mean, this is a group that sold 25 million records. Like they, they're one of the biggest groups from that era and of all time. They extremely commercially successful. Hey, uh, as a single went platinum, you know, there's, there's not much to, to discuss. It's like, yeah, they, they fucking killed it. Now let's, uh, next category is longevity. <laughs> <laughs> It is funny to go through categories on an artist that is like hitting home runs. 
uh, on everyone because yeah. we don't always get that. Uh, we but, don't. You know, Sometimes we're like trying to eke out. We're like, well, you know, so they were only together for four years and they put out one album, but it's a really good one. Like, you know, this is they're just like, well, they've got a bunch of classic albums with amazing uh, hits on them. And they were together for, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I like this checks off separate and and as, as individual artists. Yeah. Uh, so, I yeah. mean, the outcast stretch is like the player's ball was at the end of 93 and mm -hmm. then speaker box love below came out 10 years later in 2003 and pretty that much still blows my mind though like it blows my mind that y'all came up with like these amazing albums in less than a decade every two years at one point it was everything it was like 94 96 98 2000 uh -huh. I'm just like what were y'all <laughs> no like clockwork yeah Sometimes people are like, well, what is a good marker for a long career? You know, like what is in, we always say, if you can make it to 10 years as a band, then you've kind of like achieved, you've given an enthusiastic check mark to that box and mm -hmm. you know, they did Absolutely. it. They sure did. Next category is influence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, there's oh my God. There's, there's so many different things too. even just like the idea of rappers consistently singing. Like, I feel like that's something that anytime that happens, you have to draw that back to Andre, who at a certain point was singing more than he was rapping. Yeah. He, he wanted to show you how he could sing a little bit, him and his falsetto. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I mean, you go, you wouldn't have folks like Young Thug, for example, he, contrary to what dude said in his interview. <sighs> Bruh, it won't be no you without no three stacks. You know what I'm saying? Like there's there's that element of it. You know, I'm from Albany, Georgia, so there wouldn't be a film mob without Outkast. You know what I mean? Just the way that they would experiment with their with their sound. There's there's always that continuation of it, and I feel like in hip hop sampling is the DNA. How many folks have sampled Outkast? That's influence. Mm -hmm. Like how many times you've been sampled? Who samples you is also an indicator of influence. And in, in you know my opinion, you know the whole family tree starting with the cast and Dungeon Family. Right. I mean, they expanded what people thought hip hop could be. Mm -hmm. Check. 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 Moving on. <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost like it, it gets funnier and funnier with each category, how obvious it is. But next one is uh, artistry slash skill. Mm. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes this is this is the category where like someone can make like a comeback where it's like, well, maybe I didn't sell a lot of records and maybe uh I didn't have a lot of hits, but you can't deny the artistry here. With this, it's almost just like we have a full ass Sunday and it's just you're throwing a, a cherry on top. Oh, sprinkles on there. This is sprinkles. Yeah. This yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking too like use of language, use of sound, creating new language, <laughs> creating mm -hmm. remixes of things. Uh, yeah. And bringing, bringing that sound mainstream, you know, like breaking through, being so huge with that kind of like experimentation and interesting production, interesting use of language, interesting use of metaphor and I, I i think that they are incredibly skilled as far as like lyricists and then the production is so on point i okay hey ya is so amazing because it is this incredibly upbeat 
in the vein of happy song. And it's about relationships not working out and like men and women not understanding each other. It's this like incredibly nuanced song about relationships. And then it's just like packaged in this sugar drop. It's really an incredible feat to be able to make something that is both deep and popular. Then there's also the video. The video is a homage to the Beatles. So it's like, uh-huh. I think that's the, you know, you talking about influence earlier. I'm just like, you know, they're, they're pulling from multiple subsets. And, and the other thing I wanted to point out too, and I feel like folks sleep on Big Boy for this. Big Boy is, is a better storyteller than Andre. And I think the reason that folks, folks are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Andre involves a visceral response. Like he, like he lives in his head. So for those of us who are, who live in our heads, like, you know what, that hits deep, that hits different. And Big Boy can jump from- And Big about- Boy lives in his lap. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, Big Boy can talk about going from, from the strip club to being a father to, I'm like, it's, it's seamless. Oh, him, his verse in Spodiote Delicious is like, it's, it is poetry, you yeah. know? And like the way that he tells it. Funny how shit come together sometimes, you dig? One moment you frequent the booty clubs and the next four years you and somebody daughter raising your own youngin. Now that's a beautiful thing. That's if you're on top of your game and man enough to handle real life situations that is. He also has a great voice. Just the the drawl, yeah, the way that Savannah. he- You can hear mm-hmm. the Savannah come out. I'm like, I, I just always find it interesting. Like Andre has evolved in such a way that folks are quick to remove his Southerness from him in ways that big boy is like, hell no, nah, you ain't removing shit. Like mm-hmm. Southerness is there. And I think it's a very distinctive element of his, his performance in ways that with Andre, I'm mean, like Andre, you know, we saw him be Jimi Hendrix. We've seen him try to be, you know, do uh, one of the brothers and four brothers when he was up in like, <laughs> what the Detroit? He's like, in the, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's, it's interesting how they try to like move these layers of his identity from him in ways that you can't do that with Big Boy. You can't remove the southernness from from it. Especially like, like I I really enjoy following Big Boy on social media because you can hear it. You know what I'm saying? Like he sounds like mm-hmm. what my husband sounds like he sounds like what my friends sound like when they're just out and, and talking shit. You know, <laughs> like, and mm-hmm. it's like oh okay, in ways that you don't necessarily get that with Andre, which is fine. You know what I'm saying? It's- I feel like Big Boy is like the fans' favorite, like the true fans' favorite. Like if you're really, <laughs> if you really are a fan, you like Big Boy. But if you just like Outcast in passing, you're like that Andre 3000 seems fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, that's like your mom knows what Andre 3000 looks like, but she probably would not recognize Big Boy. You know, it's that same thing. It's like the flash. And then, but then for, you know, if you look a little closer, you're going to want to yeah. take another look at Sir Lucius. <laughs> I think that's true. It's very obviously surface for Andre, you know, he's, He's wearing the the crazy clothes. You know, he's he's the vegan. He's, you know, w- wearing weird hats. Before Nick Cannon did the turban, it was three stacks. Yeah, right. Yeah. Andre really, really <laughs> broke ground with the turban. You know, oh my gosh. Also, don't give like influences is like without Outcast, there'd be no Nick Cannon. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's actually oh, maybe that's no. an X. That actually might check. be one of the only dings to their <laughs> But, you know, you have to give if you know Big Boy and you know, like his background, you, like this is a dude who would ride his bike to Kate Bush when he was a teenager. You know, th- there's there's depth to him. There's artistry there that maybe isn't as obvious on the surface. 
you know, cause he was, and he was the more stereotypical. They had two separate touring buses because big boy wanted to smoke weed on his and Andre was clean on his, but you know, they, they both bring a tremendous amount of artistry to their work. Next category, Jack, Jack. <laughs> next category and final category, maybe the most important category. Does my mom know who they are? My folks know who they are because the book. <laughs> Writing a book, yeah. I, this is a category where it's like, I think everybody's mom knows who Outcast is. It's like we said. Well, if it's you've like, ever been to a cookout, you've heard Outcast. Like, <laughs> if you've <laughs> ever watched a Toyota commercial, you've heard Outcast. I mean, like, they're ubiquitous. There is no not knowing. It's just knowing that you're listening to them. You know, mm. that is the difference. Because you can by think name, like. By sound, by name. Yeah. But I think yeah. they had that, especially if you were like around in 2003, you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't escape Outcast. It was impossible. They were everywhere. They won, mm-hmm. they won Grammy album of the year, which for back then it was like hip hop artists did not win album of the year. Mm-hmm. And they, they really, it was that, so that was like a monumental thing being expe- ex- accepted by we, we talk about the rock hall being a, a terrible uh, patriarchal institution that uh, <laughs> seems to be very white. Grammys is even worse. So those are the categories. Pretty impressive showing. <laughs> there is, they, they have do not have a weak category. Absolutely like not, not a single one. Mm-hmm. It is enthusiastic check marks all down the board. All over mm-hmm. the place. So it's time for our verdict. Should they be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will they be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And if so, when do we think it's going to happen? We'll start with Kristen. Oh, gosh, this is a really, really hard decision. You know, (laughs) it's just hard for me because, you know, I'm just not, I'm not a big fan, first of all. So it's like hard for me to decide. Uh, No, of course. Uh, They should get in. They will get in. It's a no fucking brainer. They will get in. I mean, they should get in next year. I worry about the tracking i guess it's like they try to single lane the hip-hop artists and i know jay-z will get in next year first year it was a shock to us when they didn't get in or even nominated last year if there is justice which there is not uh but if there is justice they will get in this year there isn't so they'll probably get in in the next two years once they've put in uh jay-z i i actually think they'll probably get in before my man ll I mean, the poor guy, he does need love. Um, I feel like they'll get in in the next two or three years. But if I had my way, which I do not, they do not listen to me, but they would make an all person of color ballot, no white artists nominated next year, 50% women, 50% men. Then we would just see who gets in after if we did it that way. And then I think they definitely get in next year. So there you go. Yes, yes, and soon. not soon enough. All right, Dr. Bradley, what do you think? I bet this will be a real shock. <laughs> Should they, will they, and when? You know, I'm going to shock you, what I'm about to say. But yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm a cynic, man. I'm a cynic with these, like, Hall of Fame things and, and best of, you know what I'm saying? Mm. I mean, idealistically, you would let more than one rapper into the hall of fame you know what i'm saying especially yeah. if you're doing it for all these different genres you know what i mean it shouldn't matter that jay-z is going to be up next year jay-z is dope like i'm not taking that away from him but also so was outcast why can't two dope artists be be admitted at the same time but if it's a nepotism thing which it seems like it is i don't know it'd be great if they got in by like 2024 which is like the 
30th anniversary of Southern Playlistic, that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be, uh-huh. That would be nice. But yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, I think obviously they should. You can make as good a case for them as you really could anyone. And I think they should have been inducted the first year they were eligible. I think they are a perfect candidate for a first year eligible inductee. And it's a it's a bummer that they were not. Like you said, we should be able to induct more than one hip hop artist a year. And I think we will probably get there at some point. It's just a matter of, you know, when this institution is ready for it. I think there's a world where you could have Jay-Z and Outkast on the same ballot next year and they could both get in given how popular and critically acclaimed and like they both do really well, like on the categories. So I think there's a world where they could both be on the ballot and both get in. I don't know if that's going to happen though. And I kind of don't cynically, I I think the hall is not ready to do that. So I think it's probably going to be Jay-Z 2021. And then it's probably going to be you know, and this is an argument for another day, probably going to be Eminem the year after that. And Yo, how pissed is LL Cool J going to be if Eminem gets in before him? That's, he's going to yeah. take over all the social media. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think 2023, it's going to be outcast year. That's my prediction. They'll have to wait like a few years, but then they'll be on the ballot and then they'll get in. And then in 2085, uh, a cryogenic chamber <laughs> will open up and an old LL Cool J will come. <laughs> he'll come out and he'll he'll say thank you and then immediately drop dead. So that's <laughs> those are my predictions. But let's pretend Outcast gets in now. Like yeah. Outcast is getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's been announced. Obviously, there were only ever two members, so there's no drama about who gets in. It's Big Boy and Andre. Who gives the speech to induct Outcast? Now, I think there's a there's a few candidates. Obviously, in terms of someone who came up with them as a peer who has name recognition, CeeLo Green, and he seems like the type of polished uh, type Erica of person Badu. that the hall would like. Or Erica Badu. Erica Badu. I was just listening to Mama's Gun the other day. This is the 20th anniversary. I've been really getting back into Erica Badu again. I know that. I know that. I, I will fight. <laughs> <laughs> I will start one of those those petitions to be like, no, we're not going to do Damn it. <laughs> uh, is er- Erica on good terms with Andre? That's what it seems like from her interview. She's done some of her more recent dates. They, I wasn't she- sure. I know. Obviously, they were together for a time and you know ms jackson is erica badu's mom some would say <laughs> ti Maybe have ms jackson do it have erica badu's mom er- erica badu's mom that. yeah she apparently really like embraces that that's what erica badu says is that she has like she's got like the ms jackson hat and like a ms jackson yeah. pen and, like if somebody wrote a <laughs> banger about you own you it got you got no choice it's not like an unflattering one. He's like, I'm a bit of a scrub. I was trying to do yeah. better and we we couldn't work it out. I think, you know, T.I. has shown up at the Rock Hall before and he's another Southern, like he obviously loves Outkast and he has been very public about that. Well, you know who would end up being? It's going to be fucking Justin Timberlake or something. <laughs> I'll kill somebody. <laughs> I'll kill, I will, I'll hurt someone. Thinking about, again, the Atlanta connection, you know, Donald Glover would make sense. You know, he's a good public speaker. He's reclusive. He does not like to do what people want him to do. He's really leaning. He's just following what Andre does. He don't do what people want him to do. (laughs) (laughs) But I just mean, like, I feel like I don't know if he would show up and be that into it. 
I, I think because it's outcast, I think it could happen, but I just feel like he's so leaning into his genius these days. Not that I don't think he's a genius because I truly do, <laughs> but like he's really being a pretty reclusive public figure lately. Yeah. So, but aren't we all? Yeah, that is true. I'm a reclusive public figure currently. That's what's happened. <laughs> That's what I'd like to think. Uh, and then other it's artists. It's not that no one cares what's going on with me. It's that I just I'm I'm too shy. Uh, some other sorry, artists, Joe. Go on. Some other artists that have been public about their outcast love that I think would be big enough names to induct them: Janelle Monae, DJ Khaled, mm -hmm. Kendrick Lamar. Yes, to Janelle. Yes, to Kada. No, to Khaled. <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to. I wouldn't be so excited to hear what DJ Khaled had to say about Outcast at all. No, but, but it seems you like you never a know the dumb hall might be. Yeah, that they would make. Yeah, I might ask Future. Yeah, that could yeah. work. Future was part of the second generation of the kind of Dungeon family, as was Killer Mike. Oh, Killer Mike. Yeah, I was gonna say Killer, Killer Mike would be a great. Killer Mike would be an excellent choice as well. Kind of like Atlanta love, Atlanta repping, and just kind of a very clear affinity. And just he is so um, in the public right now. So yeah. he and would he, be a great he, choice. His first appearance on a record, I believe, was an outcast record. Snapping and trapping. Same for me. Uh, all right, so Outcast re reunites to perform at the induction special. They usually get three or four songs. What songs do they have to play? They open with Morris Brown. Come on, get out of here. So. <laughs> don't don't do that. My big question is, do they have to play Hey Ya? I think at least a, at least some of it, if it's even in like a medley, but I think they do. I would say mm -hmm. uh, the Zach De La Rocha Bounce with Bad Dad remix. That would be so If Rage got in at the same time as, because Rage will get in too. So if Rage gets in at the same time as Outcast, that would be like a killer crossover. Ooh, God, yeah, some I version would love of, that. Some version of Bombs Over Baghdad. And mm -hmm. then you feel like the way you move has to be in there as kind of does Hey Ya uh, and then Ms. Jackson. You kind of want to expand a little bit more beyond just those two albums, though. But those just seem like those are the choices that HBO would want for the ceremony. Here's what I'm thinking. We hear just like the bass, like the funky bass starts to kick in and then you just hear someone go, damn. And then then like from from all around the house, people are damn, damn. It's happening everywhere. They are coming through the aisles. It's like a weird parade through the aisles of just like what's happening. And then they, so they open with Spodioti and then kind of like do a weird journey. I don't know. I want them to do something fun and interesting. They never do at the hall. Like just the production value isn't there. It's just straight up people standing on stage playing their instruments or doing their thing. It's never that. It's never what I want. <laughs> I'm, and I'm sorry. I'll, I'll take personal responsibility for that. Thank you. Dr. Bradley, I think I know the answer to this, but if Outcast gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, would you go to the ceremony? No. <laughs> so I was expecting, but... No, I would. I think, I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed this year's uh, pandemic 
installations. <laughs> um, I thought it was dope. I thought the biggie one was dope because it was his son and his daughter. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. And then of course you had, the, like you said, you have to get the folks who would, who would get folks in there. But um, yeah, I, w- I would. If it's, if we're still pandemic-y because folks don't like to wear no fucking mask, then no, I ain't going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> in the event that we get back to some kind of new norm, I guess. Yeah. If I would, I would, I would try to go. That sounds dope. Okay. Yeah. Well, we will be there. We'll so. be there. Nice. You hit us up and we'll, uh, we'll try to, we, we'll see if any of us can get seats. Uh, we've struggled yeah. before. <laughs> we have, okay, cool. we're trying, we're trying to move up in our, in the esteem of, of the hall insiders. Let's get ourselves some press passes the next time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that about does it. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. Yeah. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to plug anything you want. Obviously the book is forthcoming and your social media, whatever you want to do. So go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, you know, if you if you have some extra coins to rub together, um, consider getting my book, Chronicles Thankonia, The Rise of the Hip Hop South. That's on uh, be available February twenty second. Um, I also have an edited collection I did about the influence of Outcast called an Outcast Reader that's coming out this summer. So stay tuned for that. Or if you want to, or if you want to fuss at me about how I don't know nothing about the hall, uh, you know, just hit me up on Twitter at Red Clay Scholar. <laughs> At Red Clay Scholar. Perfect. Yay. And of course, you can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. RockHallPod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see your message, please designate that somewhere in there. Otherwise, I'm not forwarding it to her. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us five stars only. If it's not five stars, then it's rude. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo, Yusu Kim for the music, and Pantheon Podcast for hosting us, and AKG for giving Kristen a suitable microphone for the first Yay. time. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the rock call? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.